Welcome to another episode of PEM Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Soboleski, and today I bring you a special guest interview with one of my colleagues from the emergency department at Cincinnati Children's, Teresa Fry. Teresa just so happens to be the winner of the 2016 Ken Graff Award from the AAP section on emergency medicine, and... As you're listening to this episode, we'll have just presented her findings on a randomized control trial of intranasal ketamine versus intranasal fentanyl in the management of acute limb fracture pain. So without further ado, here's the interview. So before we get started talking about ketamine, Teresa, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so thanks for having me. I am an assistant professor uh, at Cincinnati Children's Hospital in the Emergency Medicine Division. And before that, I was a emergency medicine fellow at Cincinnati Children's. My prior training was in St. Louis at Washington University. I did my pediatric residency, and then I was a hospitalist there for three years before going back for additional training. I got interested in the pain and sedation area of emergency medicine really out of frustration. One of my mentors initially told me that the thing to really focus on in your career are the things that frustrate you and upset you the most. And I feel like pain management is something that we struggle with and have always struggled with. And that's one thing that I consistently see under-recognized in, in multiple EDs. So having worked with you in the emergency department, it is clear that this is an area that you're very passionate about. And I think the first question that's very important for our listeners is, in what ways can just we do a better job with acute fracture pain management in children? So inadequate pain control is definitely a major public health concern, not just for fractures, but for really all causes of pain in the emergency setting. And pain continues to be underdiagnosed and undertreated, but specifically in the pediatric population with the, the youngest kids being the most vulnerable. For me, my interest has been uh, with pain associated with traumatic injuries. And a couple of studies that really got me interested and kind of more motivated were within the last decade or so. There was one study looking at children with acute limb injuries, and they found that less than half of these children actually received adequate pain control during their ED visits. And then another study of almost 800 kids that were seen in combined EDs where they see adults and children, they found that uh, 10% received adequate pain control, but actually 31% had inadequate pain, and then the rest actually didn't receive any pain medicine within the first hour of arriving. So you can see how um, these kids are coming in with serious injuries and maybe it isn't recognized because they don't know the signs of a child in severe pain um, or they're scared of certain medicines to use in those kids, but it's definitely an issue that we need to work on. We've used opioids quite frequently for severe pain associated with traumatic injuries. It's kind of our go-to in the EDs that I've worked in, but there have, there's definitely areas for improvement so we can um, use medicines that may be more appropriate for our patients. And we've seen advancements in the routes of the medicines we use, like in the intranasal route versus IV, in the pre-hospital setting versus just giving medicine upon arrival. But there is a lot more in terms of when we can give the medicines, how we can give it, and what types of medicines we can give to these kids. So for those of you that already know Teresa and the work that she's done, um, you recognize that she's done work on intranasal ketamine in the emergency department. And so I was wondering if you could kind of describe what we already know about intranasal ketamine that's been published in the medical literature. 
So ketamine is, is a drug that we use pretty frequently in the emergency department, but usually in the intravenous or intramuscular routes. This is a drug that's been around for decades and decades, and it's kind of now emerging and using it with, in a new light. So um, we use it a lot for, at dissociative doses for sedations to assist in certain procedures, but it's actually a great pain medication at different dosing, at lower dosing, so that kids are not getting dissociated. Um, we are seeing adults using this medication as well for pain control, and it's pretty common to see some of the investigations around these drugs first used in adults, and then it kind of spreads to the pediatric population with time. Um, so in, in looking at some of the studies that have been done with intranasal ketamine specifically, um, I first looked at the adult population studies and found quite a few studies both for intravenous and intranasal ketamine at low doses. So a couple studies looking at intranasal ketamine, they found that um, it's just as effective as some of the opioid pain medications in reducing acute pain in adults in the emergency setting. In the uh, intranasal route, they've found that a range uh, significantly lower than what you would use for sedation has been very effective in other countries as well. Um, and so some of these studies can then serve as almost a precursor for the, the pediatric studies. So there have been studies involving the intravenous route um, and intranasal route with ketamine at lower doses. The intravenous routes have been used for patients like uh, those that have terminal diagnoses, end-of-life pain, or uh, chronic pain conditions where their pain is refractory to opioids. Um, that's also been used in some case reports of patients in severe pain, such as a, a patient with an extensive burn, or conditions that where opioids would be contraindicated, like toxic megacolon, but there haven't been big studies done. And then with the intranasal route, there have been a couple case series or case reports in other countries, but then there was one trial that was done that was in Australia looking at intranasal ketamine at lower doses compared to intranasal fentanyl. And that was a smaller study, like I said, in Australia. And that was the only study that had been published at the time that our study was created. One has since been published, and I'll talk about that probably a little later. So when I first started using ketamine clinically, I had a lot of parents say like, well, isn't that a horse tranquilizer? Don't people steal that from veterinarians' offices? And so I've gone a long way in terms of my understanding of it in a sedation context, but we certainly don't have as much experience with it in use in pain management. So why might it actually be a better choice than opiates? And how can we explain this to families? Yeah, so this was actually kind of the perfect time to do a study like this because I was expecting more of that parental response. And I actually felt like of the parents that were concerned about this medication or the study, some were concerned about ketamine and it being a, a horse tranquilizer, but also a lot were concerned because of fentanyl, actually, and our country being in this opioid epidemic. And so I think it's important to look at the the side effects and, and the medical conditions that you're treating when choosing the pain medication. So as we know with opioids, there's quite a few side effects that patients can experience, especially with multiple doses. And the more pain medicine doses you're giving of opioids, they're just going to add up and have more risk for the patient. So maybe you've already given a couple doses of an opioid and they're still having significant pain. You want to, to explore other options. There's definitely opioid tolerance in our communities, especially with kids with chronic painful conditions like sickle cell or end of life or cancer diagnoses. 
And so obviously those kids can just as well go out and break an arm, break a leg, and come in and need pain medication. And if they've already developed tolerance to opioids, it's not going to be as effective. One interesting area that I kind of discovered through this research was the different degree of opioid sensitivities that we each have. So in some of the literature out there on genetic predisposition, I didn't realize that we all have such a a variety of sensitivities to opioids. And so some patients may not be as sensitive to opioids. You could have two kids of their same size, same age, same gender, and one responds really well and one doesn't. Um, and so some of our patients may already know that about themselves. They got a, a few doses of morphine in the past for a painful condition and it didn't help with their pain at all. That may be a patient I would try ketamine in first. There have been some studies looking at the adverse effects associated with opioids given before a procedural sedation. So commonly we'll give pain medicine to kids coming in with traumatic injuries and then they need a procedural sedation later on for a reduction of a fracture and there is an increased risk for adverse effects and for prolonged sedation recovery time if you give opioids before a procedural sedation. So that opens us up to the possibility of monotherapy giving ketamine for pain and ketamine for procedural sedation possibly decreasing that risk. One area that is really important is is trauma, severe trauma, when patients are coming in potentially in hemorrhagic shock. We don't want to give them anything that's going to lower their blood pressure at all. And so if they're already having lower blood pressures or if we're concerned for worsening blood pressures, we could give ketamine uh, because we know that that could only improve their blood pressure and heart rate. And then lastly, um, obviously we, ha- we struggle with patients who have developed addictions or dependence to opioids. And so sometimes patients will come in and say they would prefer to stay as far away from those as possible. And we, if we don't have other options, then we're left with our patients being stuck in pain, which is an awful feeling. I think that you're clearly stating a use case for ketamine as a pain medicine. And you know, certainly I've had experience in the past with giving um, intranasal benzodiazepines and intranasal opiates, um, but how does one actually administer intranasal ketamine to a patient? So when you are choosing the appropriate ketamine concentration, it's important to think about the route. Intranasal ketamine is going to be higher doses than intravenous ketamine for the same indication, so for pain. So you want to make sure that you're giving a concentration that will give them the lowest amount of volume. Your doses shouldn't be any more than a, a two milliliter volume. So you're going to draw up your ketamine into a syringe and then attach a mucosal atomizer device on top, which is kind of a triangular spongy looking thing that you put in the nostril and then and administer the medication. You do need to account for the amount of volume in that atomizer, but then you should be giving medication in half milliliter aliquots. So that's a common misconception where we're giving a whole milliliter into a nostril at a time, and that actually decreases the amount of medication that is absorbed, so that is effective for the patient. When you look at the different volumes of administration of the medication, we found that there's no real difference between giving a a 0.2 milliliter dose versus a 0.5, but comparing those to the one milliliter dose, um, you see that patients aren't getting as much of the medication. So you want to make sure you're giving the right amount at a time. Many of the listeners are familiar with some of the after effects of IV or IM ketamine and how entertaining they might be, but um, less so with intranasal route. And so, Teresa, what should we be looking for after a patient gets intranasal ketamine with regard to how long it lasts? Are we going to need to give additional medicines, potential side effects? Yeah, so the side effect profile is actually pretty similar to some of our opioid medications. If you're familiar with giving intranasal fentanyl, some of the side effects from intranasal ketamine are going to be pretty similar. So when you're giving intranasal 
ketamine for pain, the onset of the medication is usually within about 10 minutes. And the time to its peak in, in the bloodstream is 10 to 20 minutes. And we've found from a few different studies that intranasal ketamine then as a pain medication usually lasts up to about 60 minutes, after which you want to be considering dosing either the same medication or other medicines for, for persistent pain. So as with any pain medication, once one wears off, you're going to want to keep reassessing your patient to make sure that they're not experiencing sudden increase in their pain. But in terms of what to look for, so the most common things that you'll see is dizziness, unpleasant taste, because it can go drip down the back of the throat, or drowsiness. There have been some patients that have experienced some nausea or vomiting, temporary headache, some itchiness, rash, lightheadedness. Those are all transient and fairly minor side effects. We did not uh, notice any severe side effects either in our study or the other studies that have been done with intranasal ketamine. So overall, things to watch for are usually pretty mild, transient, and not significant. I would say that this all sounds like a, a very enticing option for management of pain control, and your points about the opiate crisis are very well made. So is this something that's readily available? Can we go and start using it clinically, or is there a little more work that needs to be done on the, the back end? Yeah, so in terms of being readily available, you want to make sure you're having the appropriate concentration, like I mentioned before. One question that commonly comes up is if whether it's FDA approved or not for kids and with the intranasal route. And it's interesting when you actually explore that further, because if you look at the labeling for ketamine, um, it is actually not approved for kids in any route, in the IV form or the intranasal form. And we use IV ketamine every day in, in the emergency department. Even more interestingly, for fentanyl, we use intranasal fentanyl, IV fentanyl, that is not approved according to the FDA in the pediatric population. So these are medicines that we can use, but technically may not be FDA approved. Right, and I'd wager that you have to talk to your local hospital or healthcare system and make sure that they have all the right procedures and policies in place before you would use this medicine either in widespread manner or in an individual patient. Exactly, and even if you start using it in your institution, uh, if you get to a point where people are very comfortable with it and it almost seems like it's standard of care, be aware that if you were to explore it further in some sort of study fashion and you wanted to use this medication, since it isn't FDA approved, you do need to, to uh, investigate what sorts of regulatory bodies you need to work with to make sure that you're doing things legally. So I'd wager that when you did your study, which was a randomized controlled trial of intranasal fentanyl versus intranasal ketamine, there were a substantial amount of regulatory and process issues that you had to address even before you got started. Um, so why don't you tell the listeners about your research project, what you learned, and kind of what's next for intranasal ketamine in the pediatric emergency department. Yeah, so our study was called PRIME. It stands for Pain Reduction with Intranasal Medications and Extremity Injuries. Tremendous acronym, by the way. Yeah, I have to get a, a, give a shout out to Todd Florin who came up with that acronym, I can't take credit for that. So for this study, we set out attempting to show that intranasal ketamine was non-inferior to intranasal fentanyl. So in our institution, intranasal fentanyls become pretty much standard of care for a, a first-line pain medication for kids coming in with extremity injuries. And we were not aiming to show that intranasal ketamine was significantly better, but that it wasn't much worse than intranasal fentanyl, so we would have another option, and so we would potentially want to use intranasal ketamine for the other reasons that I listed before. So this was a randomized controlled trial. It was a blinded study where multiple parties were blinded. The researchers, the nurses, physicians, everyone in the ED, the patients, 
parents, families to ensure that we did not know which medication these, these patients were given uh, so we could be investigating the best we could. We gave intranasal ketamine at one and a half milligrams per kilo or intranasal fentanyl at two micrograms per kilo as the initial pain medication. And our primary outcome is looking at the difference in the mean reduction in pain scores 30 minutes after the medicine was given. We also looked at a few secondary outcomes such as the reduction in pain at different time points, such as 15 minutes, 60 minutes after medication, looking at sedation scoring at these different time points, looking at changes in vitals, including entitled capnometry, and then obviously adverse effects, including doing a 30-day phone call follow-up to ensure that no new uh, adverse events had developed after the patient was discharged or admitted. So in doing all of this, we initially were working within our division and then planning on submitting to the RR Institutional's IRB. And the question came up of, do we need to be involving the FDA in a study like this? And so that, that kind of gets at looking at the, the labeling of the medicine and if it's approved in pediatrics and for that route. And so in the end, this was an FDA-regulated study where you had to submit an IND application. So then we had the FDA and our institutions, IRB, both involved in regulating, mostly for the, the safety, obviously, of our patients and exposing them to as little risk as possible. So there are quite a few challenges. This study was done on patients that actually come through our trauma base. So doing a clinical trial where you have to obtain consent from parents and patients in the trauma bay can be very anxiety provoking. You've got patients that are coming in with a lot of pain. You've got parents that are coming in scared to death and you're trying to do an abbreviated consent but still contain all the appropriate elements to make sure that they are informed and that they, they know what they're consenting to. Uh, one helpful thing there was that I actually presented this study to the Family Advisory Committee at our institution to really get parental input on, on how and what they wanted to hear in the consent process. Obtaining the support and ensuring that all of our staff were trained and kind of bought in into this, this trial and, and making sure it was a success is always going to be a challenge. So we definitely had smaller groups of super users that I call them that weren't actually on the team, the research team, but um, were advocates for the study. And then we've obviously did a lot of education throughout the division about the, the goals of the study. As I mentioned before, working with the FDA and meeting all their, their requirements is obviously going to be a challenge. Maintaining the blinding, so making sure that uh, people didn't know which medicine the patients were getting is going to be a challenge. We actually had our research assistants check, or they actually guessed at a certain time, whether the patient was receiving fentanyl or ketamine. And in the end, about 63% of the time, they guessed correctly, which is actually pretty good. You don't want it to be 100%, obviously, and 50-50 would be perfect. So I think our blinding was good. In a study like this, you also don't want to be contributing to any significant delay in pain medicine for these patients. Overall, in the end, the time from arrival to pain medication being given to these patients in the study was about 26 minutes for both groups. Um, and prior to the study even being done through our ortho evaluation process, the average time to pain medicine was 24 minutes. So that's no significant difference. Tremendous accomplishment. Yeah, there. that was that was huge. And I think that the buy-in by staff and our and that just really shows the expertise of our research assistants and getting these patients enrolled. And anytime you de deviate from the current department's standard of care, you're always going to have a little bit of, more of a barrier to fight with. But overall, it was a very successful study, and we were really pleased. I couldn't agree more. I think this was one of the most impressive fellow projects that I've seen at our institution during my time at Cincinnati Children's. And as you're listening to this, Teresa has just presented her findings and the results of her research at the AAP National Conference and Exhibition in Orlando, Florida during the section on emergency medicine proceedings. And certainly her findings aren't published in the literature yet, but I wondered if you could give a little bit of a teaser trailer version of what you learned and how that compares to some of the existing literature on intranasal ketamine. 
Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for that compliment. That's huge. It was quite a team effort to get this thing done. But yes, in the end, we ended up enrolling 90 patients in our study as we had aimed for. And we found that uh, intranasal ketamine, as we set out looking for non-inferiority, we were looking to determine if it was not worse than intranasal fentanyl, which is our standard of care. And it looks like it, it it's going to be a uh, an alternative to opioids for pain medication in the emergency setting for these children who are experiencing experiencing a lot of pain. When we compared those results to a couple other studies, one that I alluded to earlier that was in Australia, the pain reduction was very similar. And when you looked at the, the specific ages, there were some differences in the study design, but when you look at the same age child and the same time intervals, we found very similar pain reduction. There has been another study looking at intranasal ketamine since we did our trial that has been published and we again found very similar results also with very similar side effect profiles with all side effects being very minor and transient and self-resolved so it's a it's appearing that it's a safe alternative so certainly there seems to be mounting evidence that intranasal ketamine is a completely viable option for acute pain management it doesn't seem like it's ready for prime time yet <laughs> Ooh, nice one <laughs> yeah sorry i'm allowed like one pun per podcast so I guess I want to close with hearing from you, what are the next steps that need to happen before intranasal ketamine becomes available for more widespread use in EDs and pediatric emergency departments? So I think I'm sort of at an advantage at our institution since we did the study in our emergency department. I feel like that actually adds to the buy-in from our division and seeing the success of that study. So I do think that the appropriate education about the literature that's out there, about the trials that have been done, the side effect profiles, the appropriate dosing, all of that needs to really be done first. And then making sure you've got the appropriate concentrations of the medicine and policies in place at your institution are going to be key before you start actually using the medicine. I would hate for institution to start using the medicine and have a few cases where things don't go quite as planned or people were uncomfortable and then that puts a bad taste in your mouth. Because I really do think that low dose or subdissociative ketamine is a great medication that can be used in multiple different settings and is really going to help us with this opioid uh, epidemic that we're in. I do think that there's plenty of other pain uh, situations that uh, this could be used for, not just for acute traumatic injuries. Obviously, like we talked about before, there's a lot of conditions where opioids may not be the best option or maybe conditions where it's not responsive to opioid pain medication. And I think that this is this, having this in our back pocket is always going to be a, a useful tool. In the future, I think that other studies could be done looking at ketamine for pain control prior to sedations and looking at outcomes from that, looking at it in other settings, in the pre-hospital setting, looking at it maybe even at higher doses via the intranasal route for actual sedation. So there's a lot of different areas you could go in with ketamine at different concentrations, different doses, and different routes. So definitely an old drug. It's been around for years and years, but something that seems new to all of us. Thank you again for sitting down and reviewing the results of your research and kind of your journey through the process. I think one of the most important takeaways from doing any projects is that it really makes you incredibly knowledgeable about the subject matter. And I'd wager that uh, there are many people that are unfamiliar with intranasal ketamine and probably want to learn more. So, you know, listeners to the podcast or readers at penblog.com, if they wanted to get in touch with you, how can they reach you? 
Yeah, I am always happy to discuss all things ketamine. It's one of my favorite medications that we use. I actually have a t-shirt that says ketamine is my spirit animal, and I will most likely be wearing that around. So um, you can contact me, probably email is the easiest for me. It's teresa.fry at cchmc.org, and I'm always happy to discuss any of this further. Well, that's all for this episode of PEM Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Soboleski, and I hope you enjoyed this interview format. Check out PEM Blog for more great educational content, follow me on Twitter, and leave a review at your favorite podcast aggregator site. See you next time.